The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you join me? Hebrews chapter 5 and into chapter 6 this morning. The writer of Hebrews is showing us that Jesus is the better, the greater high priest. This is one of the main themes of the book of Hebrews. The author is writing to Hebrew people, to Jewish people. And so, one of the key figures, not the key figure in Judaism is the, the high priest and the sacrifices offered by the high priest before God for the atonement of the people. And so, as they are being tempted to fall back into Judaism, the writer of Hebrews is showing them that Jesus Christ is better and He is he is the great. He is the better. He is the superior. He is the supreme high priest. And His offering of atonement in His body is better. It's superior. It's the ultimate sacrifice to remove the debt of sin for all who put their faith in Him for all of eternity. And so, to drive this point home, He's, he's writing to the, to the Hebrew people, show them that Jesus is the better high priest. In chapter 5, He begins to outline that for them. And in it, He's... anticipating some arguments that they may have, one of which is that Jesus does not come from the tribe of Aaron, but from Judah, the kingly tribe. And so how then could he be a priest in service to God if he wasn't from the priestly tribe? And so he, he shows them, he argues for them that his lineage is even a, a greater lineage from this Old Testament priest, Melchizedek. That's where we, we ended a few weeks ago. And so this is where the writer of Hebrews is, is teaching them. But in chapter 5, starting in verse 11, he takes a break from this priestly argument for Jesus being the greater high priest. He takes a sort of a, a parenthetical break and he takes a moment to instruct his Hebrew hearers, and in doing so, instruct us. And it is sort of a it's it's a it's an old fashioned whooping, is what it is. Takes them out behind the woodshed and begins to to chastise them for their. Lack of spiritual maturity. That's where we, we picked up last week that 
began in this break. You can read with me in verse 11 of chapter 5. About this, we have much to say. This is about Christ's lineage and the the order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull in your hearing. If you remember from last week, if you were with us, it's not that these truths are difficult to grasp or that there's uh, inadequacy in God's Word or in God's messenger. But the, the problem is not in the Word of God. The problem is in the hearers of the Word of God. And their particular problem was their dullness in hearing. This is not a, a physical infirmity. This is a, a laziness on their part. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This was our text last week. This morning we bring our attention to the first Three verses of chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. There is essentially three parts to these opening verses that go from chapter 5, verse 11, down to chapter 6, verse 12 in this parenthetical break. And we're breaking them into three sermons, um, most likely three. The first one was last week, and that was the problem of spiritual immaturity. The problem of spiritual immaturity, that these... Hearers are spiritual infants. They are children. They have refused to grow up. They've refused to move on to spiritual maturity. They are content to sit in their diapers as grown people drinking from bottles when it is time for them now to eat meat. The problem of spiritual maturity was last week. This morning, in these verses, we see the pathway to spiritual maturity. The problem of spiritual immaturity last week, the pathway to spiritual maturity comes this week, and it is verses 14 through 3 in chapter 6. And then next week will be the peril of apostasy. The peril of apostasy. So this morning we find ourselves at... Point number two, the pathway to spiritual maturity. The writer says in verse 14 that solid food is for the mature. Solid food is for the mature. What is it that makes them mature? They are mature because through daily practice, they have the power of discernment. Through daily activity, through daily practice, they have developed the power of spiritual discernment. And what does that mean? It means that they are now able to distinguish between good 
and evil. For those who have their power of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. The spiritual maturity comes as you, through daily practice, through daily activity, not being dull in your hearing, not being lazy, not refusing to grow up, not refusing to move forward, you, through daily practice, so have the Spirit of God working in you, so have the Word of God working in you, that you have now become able to discern what is good from what is evil. Spiritual maturity always has with it a moral component. Spiritual maturity is not just intellectual. It is not just the the ability to know doctrine, to know great and deep things about God. That does not equal spiritual maturity. How do I know that? I know that because the demons know more about God than you do. They know more about God than I do. But are they spiritually mature? No, they're spiritually depraved. They're evil. Spiritual maturity is not just an intellectual process, but it's when you so know the Word of God, you're so steeped in rich doctrine, and it works in you in such a way that you begin to live out of it things that honor the Lord. You know the difference between good and evil, and you do good and not evil. That's not these Hebrew people. No, these Hebrew people are feeding on milk. They're not growing. They're not going towards maturity. The writer of Hebrews writes to them to say, you need solid food. You need solid food. So what do they need to do? What do we need to do to grow in our maturity? What is this pathway to spiritual maturity? Well, there is, in these verses and in our experience, a life cycle of spiritual maturity. A person embraces faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Their eyes are open to see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They see their own sin, their need of a Savior. They see Christ as their only hope. And they embrace the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. And they become, at that moment, a baby Christian. And maybe they know nothing other than the gospel. And so then they begin to learn some elementary truths. The writer of Hebrews calls these things foundations. They begin to learn some foundational doctrine. That's the next step. You come to faith, a baby Christian, you begin to learn elementary truths. And then you put those into practice. And as you put those into practice, you begin to grow in your spiritual discernment. And as you grow in your spiritual discernment, you can begin to take on more solid food. And as you take on more solid food and you continue in your growth, then you are able to teach others what you are learning learning from the Word of God. This is the pathway of spiritual maturity. This is what we see in the Scriptures. This is what is true for the spiritual life. This is not only in the spiritual realm. 
But this is just the, the normal experience of, of our life cycle, right? Uh, where our kids go to school, Evangel, um, they, they had their final week of, of school this last week and their graduation and their awards day. And so we went to the awards day. It was the first time we got to go to the upper school awards day. And for a long time, they gave senior awards. I'm not sure how many graduates there were, 16 graduates. Between the 16 graduates, they were awarded $1.9 million in scholarships. They had representatives from the schools to where they were going there to present them with these scholarships and let them know how excited they were and honored they were to have these students come to their school. And what do these students have to do? Man, they had to test really well. Average ACT was 29 in the graduating class. They had to test really well. They had to interview really well. They had to write really well. I promise you, not a single one of them sat down before uh, a committee to offer a scholarship and say, I know my ABCs. I got them down. I know my, my pluses. I got my minuses down. I'm really good with multiplications except for eights, and I struggle a little bit on my divisions with number seven, but I got the rest. Why? Because you learn foundational things early on, and then you build on top of them and grow into deeper truths, right? They didn't sit there and say, well, I know my ABCs. But there was a foundation that had to be laid. And what was that foundation early on? That foundation early on was you learn your ABCs. You finish kindergarten at Evangel. This may be public school. I don't know. They can read really well. They're building, they're laying a foundation that builds upon it. The same thing is true. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. The same thing is true. There is a foundation spiritually that is laid, and then you are to build upon it. That's the meaning of the word in chapter one, there, or in verse one in chapter six, therefore. Therefore. Because you need milk and you should be eating solid food by now, since you should have the, the power of discernment, since you cannot stay where you are, therefore, there's some things you need to do. There's some things you need to build upon. The first thing they have to do, is, he says, is leave some things behind. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Now, don't read that and think that that's the writer saying that you need to leave the, the doctrine of Christ behind because it isn't good or is it, it, it isn't profitable. That's not what that means. It isn't the writer saying that we leave behind the doctrine of Christ. That's not what he's saying. We're not leaving Christ behind. 
We're, we're leaving behind the elementary doctrines of Christ because we're building on the foundation that's, that's laid. You don't leave kindergarten and go to first grade and learn the ABCs. You don't leave first grade and go to second and learn the ABCs. You, don't, you, know, you, you build upon them. You leave behind C-spot run. That's back there. And you move on to other literary works. So what, what is this? I read that and I thought, what is, what is this leave behind the, the elementary doctrine of Christ? What is that? Well, I think we have to remember the context of, in which this letter was, was written. This is written to Hebrew people. It's written to Jews who are being tempted to fall back into Judaism. And the writer says, leave behind these elementary teachings of Christ most likely what he has in mind is these Old Testament teachings of the Messiah. These shadows. These types. We leave those things behind. Why? Because there is now greater fulfillment. Because now the Messiah has come. Because now He's been revealed more clearly to us. Because long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. There is a, a greater revelation. There is a better revelation. Is there messianic truth all? Throughout the Old Testament, yes. But it's brought to fulfillment in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They're being tempted to fall backwards into this bondage of um, religion and law-keeping. Leave behind those elementary teachings of Christ. All those things that you know from the Old Testament are foundational. Don't do away with them. Build on them. But it's time to move on. It's time to press forward. It's time to grow. It's time to mature. That's his message here. You're going backwards. You're not growing. Church, spiritually speaking, stagnation is not an option. Stagnation is not an option. How do I know that? Because lukewarmness doesn't work, does it? What does Christ say of the lukewarm? I will spit you out. Lukewarmness isn't an option. It doesn't work. Stagnation isn't an option. Staying where we are perpetually, never growing, sitting in our diaper, sucking on a bottle, doesn't work. It's time to grow. It's time to grow. We leave some things behind because we're building on top of them other things. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation. When you set out to build a home or a building, you begin by laying a foundation. 
once that foundation is led or laid, do you lay another on top and another on top and another on top? No. Do you also build a foundation and then just say, okay, foundation is built. Great. Looks really good. Okay, now let's leave that foundation behind and go build a house over here. No. You lay a foundation and then you move forward. Once you have the foundation laid, there's no reason to lay the foundation over and over and over again. This is really important. Because what the writer of Hebrews isn't saying is that we leave Christ behind. That we move on. That we get rid of the foundation. There is only one foundation. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is only one foundation that will last that you can build your home. Your, your spiritual life on, and that is the foundation of Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation. We never leave him behind. We never leave the gospel behind. But as we grow and mature, we build on that foundation. That's what you do with foundations. You build on them. We don't camp on them. So what are these foundations that they are laying over and over and over again. What are they? Well, these are not bad things. These are good things. They are foundational. You have to have them. They have to be there, but you move forward. The writer of Hebrews offers for them essentially six foundations. But he does so in three sets of couplets. We groups two together, groups two together, groups two together. So, therefore, let us leave the elementary of doc, doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. That's the first. Of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands. That's the second the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. That's the third. There's three couplets, three sets of couplets here. First is repentance and faith as a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Uh, listen, you, you know this. Repentance and faith, those are not bad things, are they? Those are, those are really good things. Not only are those really good things, those are necessary things. Those are foundational things. You cannot come to Christ Jesus. You cannot understand the gospel. You cannot be saved without those two things. That is the base foundation. You see your own sin and the guiltiness of it. You repent, you turn from your sin... And you trust Christ in faith as your only hope. Repentance and faith. You cannot come to Christ without these things. With the repentance from dead works. What is that? Repentance from dead works. Well, dead works are, one, things that bring death. Right? What brings death? Sin. So repentance from sin. And 
Another way to understand dead works is a work that doesn't accomplish anything. To try to work to earn your salvation apart from faith is, is a dead work. It earns nothing. You repent from your sin and your, your attempt to earn it yourself. You repent from dead works and you come to Christ in faith. In faith. Now, I hope you understand that repentance and faith, those are not just New Testament concepts. but Those are, those are Old Testament concepts. They're present all throughout the Old Testament. Repentance and faith. But they are brought to fulfillment in Christ Jesus as we see Him in the New Testament. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Don't remain there laying these Old Testament foundations of repentance and faith over and over and over again. Move on forward to see that they really point you to Christ Jesus and everything He means and all the ways He works. Don't lay these foundations over and over again. Don't fall back into Judaism, but press forward, grow in your maturity as you become more like Christ Jesus. They're pointing to Him. Repentance is a daily activity, right? At least it should be. Once we have grasped that, that we must repent and we should live in light of it, Faith in Jesus is foundational, trusting in Him, relying on Him, and then we build upon it. These are foundational. But let's build on them. Don't stop moving forward. If these things are just the starting point. I've spent a number of years serving as a student pastor in a few different churches, and over and over and over and over and over and over again, I'd have the same student come. Repent in faith, repent in faith, repent in faith, repent in faith, repent in faith. Never moving forward and building upon it. First is repentance and faith. The second is instructions about washings and the laying on of hands. Now in the Old Testament, there were certainly many different ceremonial washings. And so when the writer of Hebrews writes, we must leave behind these foundations of instructions about washing and the laying on of hands, it could be that there in this church, wherever this church is, that they were having a lively discussion over and over and over again about what those ceremonial washings were and why they might still be needed and how they related to Christ. There could have been many discussions about these things to the point to where they never moved on from them. There is certainly a sense in which where this refers to baptism which would be sort of a, a New Testament ceremonial washing in a way. This word here for ceremonial washings is a form of the word for baptism, though it isn't the one that is normally used. So it 
provides for us some difficulty in translation. But for sure, baptism is foundational, right? You come to faith in the Lord, you printed your sins, you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're baptized. That's the, the pattern. You don't get baptized and stop there. I'm baptized, I'm done, there's nothing else I need to do. You don't do it over and over and over again. What do you do? You move forward. You move forward. The writer of Hebrews couples ceremonial washings with the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands, the setting apart, certainly present in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, baptism and the laying on of hands went together. Because it was through the laying on the hands that in the New Testament, at least, one received the Holy Spirit. They're foundational. They're starting points. It's also used, the laying on of hands, in the ordination of an office. We lay hands on an elder to set them apart for the work of a pastor. Both was present in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in both the New Testament and or especially in the Old Testament, there is the laying on of hands at the sacrifice. So it seems we're in this church, whoever the writer is writing to, to these Jews, that they were getting to together and they were discussing these things over and over and over again, and they're never moving on. And then third is the resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. Was the resurrection of the dead present in the Old Testament? It certainly was. Isaiah 26, Daniel 12, both speak of a resurrection from the dead. And of course, it is a New Testament theme, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The school of Pharisees believed in the supernatural and the resurrection of the dead. Is eternal judgment seen in the Old Testament? Absolutely. And it is also a New Testament theme. It isn't that these things are bad, the resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment, but it is that they need to be built upon, built upon. Now, I make a point to say that all of these are present themes in the Old Testament because I think that's what's happening in this church. All six of these find a parallel with Judaism. They're all present in Judaism. And it could be that they were trying to find some common ground with Judaism in a way to sort of have a, a syncretism to where Judaism and Christianity could coexist in a way where they are comfortable together. And, uh, yeah, okay. Sure, you, Old Testament, repentance of faith, Judaism, repentance of faith. Yeah, we've got that in the New Testament. We've got that in Christianity. Uh, Judaism, okay, yep. Yeah. Ceremonial washings, laying on of hands. Yeah, we've got that. Baptism, laying on of hands, receive the Holy Spirit. 
Um, uh, uh, resurrection from the dead, eternal judgment, those are present in Judaism. Yep, those are present in Christianity. So, so can't we all just get along? Find some common ground, stay comfortable, and never press on beyond them because as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in these days, to press on beyond them and to show that Judaism, foundational Christ, so much better would cost them. It would cost them dearly. Cost them dearly. So what do they do? And they're just focusing on the things, the same things over and over and over again so that we can keep the Jews and the Christians happy. They knew that to press on in their commitment to Jesus would cost them something. But spiritual maturity is the ability to discern We part here. We have no fellowship here. The gospel calls you to more. As I thought about that, I, I wondered, what are the things that we are in our culture tempted to camp on? What are the foundations we are content to lay over and over and over again that are true and good and right, but also palatable in our culture. And so let's just camp on these things and never push beyond them because as long as we camp on them, life is easy. There's no persecution. There's, no, there, there's only acceptance. But when we push on beyond them, it begins to cost us some things. So what is it that, that the American church is tempted to lay these foundations over and over again? Well, I think there's one in, in particular, and that is that God is love. Is that foundational? You better believe that's foundational. Is that true in, in the New Testament? Is that true in Christ? Is that doctrinally accurate? It sure is. But what we have is folks who want to lay that foundation over and over and over and over again. God is love. God is love. God is love. You can go up to anybody in our culture and say, man, I believe God is love and I believe He loves you and He cares for you, and he has a plan for you, and that is accepted. That's why most of these megachurches, that's the message, because it's palatable to the most amount of people, and it costs you nothing. And so we lay that foundation over and over and over again, and we don't grow beyond it to say, yes, it is true, God is love and His love is most seen in Jesus Christ because in Him, He paid the debt of your sin because God hates sin. And God is so loving that He does, He calls you to come out of that sin. 
And not to remain there and to move on and to grow. Yes, God is love, but these things are wrong. I have the capacity, the spiritual maturity and the discernment to tell the difference between good and evil. We've got to be clear. We've got to grow in maturity and discernment and we've got to be willing to speak the truth in love no matter what it costs us to embrace the fullness of Jesus is to say that all things have now changed. All the Old Testament is fulfilled and this life is now forever different. And that's what these brothers were lacking. If you are going to press on in maturity, it is going to cost you some things. It will cost you some relationships. It will cost you social standing. It will make you uncomfortable. We are comfortable laying the same foundations over and over and over again, but it is difficult and it takes work to build, to grow, to move on from milk to solid food. There is another aspect, another way that you could look at these three couplets. And that was interesting to me. Repentance and faith is justification. That's how we're justified, by repentance and faith. Baptism and the laying on of hands, baptism and the receiving of the Holy Spirit is the work of sanctification. And a resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment is glorification. These taken together give us a summary of the Christian faith. This is the summary of the Christian faith. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. These are foundations that you need to have a clear grasp on. This is the minimum statement of beliefs. Justification, an act, by God's, an act of God's grace by which sinners are declared righteous through the blood of Christ. Sanctification, the process by which believers grow in holiness. And glorification, the great hope of all who look to Christ in the day when we will be transformed in glory and receive our prize. These are foundational doctrines. Do you have a grasp on these things as foundation? And are you actively building upon them? Are you growing spiritually? Verse 3 says, and this we will do if God permits. If God permits. If God is gracious. If God allows. Now anybody else read that and think, well, wouldn't he? Anybody else? Like if we're wanting to grow spiritually, if we're, not, you know, if we're not wanting to just keep laying these foundations over and over and over again, if we're willing to move forward, if we're willing to, to see the separation of a, of, a, of a Christian and a non-Christian, the way we live, the things we believe, if we want to move forward, wouldn't God permit it? Anybody else? Like, yeah, of course. I think it's really important for us to stop and to be reminded. 
that our God is not obligated to do anything. He is altogether sovereign. And he is in heaven, and he does as he pleases. He is the sovereign God. And there is nothing, nothing we can do without his approval. We cannot grow unless he works in our hearts. That's the point. You can't do this on your own. You need his spirit's work. And this we will do if and only if God permits. There's probably people here today and in churches all over this world that are trying to grow spiritually yet they never progress because they're seeking to do it in their own strength and their own power. We need the Spirit's work to move forward. You cannot change your own heart. You need God to work in you. And so we can, we can lay out a pathway for spiritual maturity and say, these are the things that I need to do. I need to come to faith. That's, that's the beginning point. That's spiritual infancy. I need milk. I need some foundational doctrines. I need to understand justification, sanctification, glorification. And then as those foundations are laid and I see Christ, I understand the gospel, I understand repentance, I understand faith, I understand baptism, I understand the work of the Spirit, I understand a resurrection from the dead, I understand eternal um, judgment. I get all of those things things. Now I'm beginning to put those things into daily practice, spending time in his word. I'm growing. I'm growing. I'm able to teach others. You can try to do that in your own strength and your own power, and you will always fall short. This we will do only if God permits. So what are we to do? We are to pray and ask. You cannot grow. You cannot grow without his hand at work. And if you aren't growing, are you doing it in your own strength? God's expectation for us is to progress, to move forward with his his help. Not laying again these foundations over and over and over again, but progressing into spiritual maturity. Because if we don't, if we don't, there is a great peril of apostasy. We'll see that next week. Father, thank you that you are gracious to work in us as you see fit to open our eyes to see the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by your grace, according to your Spirit's power, to work and to grow on these foundational truths, these foundational truths. Father, may we not be like these Hebrew people. May we be eager that you find in us willing hearts to, through daily practice, live out your word as you work in us. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. 
To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.